This podcast has been developed for financial advisor use and provides general information only and does not take into account any particular individual's objectives, financial situations or needs. BT Investment Talk by BT Investment Solutions is a monthly podcast produced exclusively for Australian financial advisors. Our investment experts, together with some of the world's leading fund managers, will provide thought leadership on a wide range of investment topics. Investment Talk is all about looking beyond the numbers, helping advisors cut through the noise, enabling them to have meaningful investment and portfolio construction conversations with their clients. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the next instalment of BT Invest Talk. I'm Paul Trainer, one of the senior investment specialists of BT Investment Solutions, and I'm part of the team that supports the wide range of BTIS products that we offer from both active and passive solutions, um, and they stretch across both funds and the SMA segments of the market. As we do with InvestTalk, we dig a bit deeper into our underlying managers, their investment philosophy, their approach, and also some of their current market views and positioning. Today, we chat with AICA Investment Management. This is timely as we recently introduced the AICA Emerging Opportunities Fund into our advanced diversified funds. And this actually fills a position of 15% in the emerging market sleeve. Now, looking out the window, I note it's a very cold Monday afternoon here in Australia. It's the 6th of June. We're getting very close to the winter solstice. Whereas AICA, of course, is a UK-based um, organisation, which means it's very early on a Monday morning there. And given the weekend celebrations for the Queen's Platinum Jubilee, it might be extra tough for the guys. So we truly appreciate um, uh, our friends from AICA dialing in. And that's Ashish Swarup, Raul Desai and Tom Allen, each are portfolio managers for AICA. Also on today's podcast is Sid Perambadu. Now, last year, Sid joined the BTIS investment team as a uh, equities portfolio analyst. So this is going to be um, a good opportunity to hear from Sid as well. Before I hand over to Sid to lead with a few questions, I thought I'd make one broad comment. Investing in general probably hasn't been as difficult as this moment in time for many, many decades. There are just so many unknowns. And probably the key one in my mind is you know, the turning point or the potential turning point in inflation and interest rate expectations. So this means diversification across asset classes probably has never been so important. And one clear area to capture a different return profile is the emerging market asset class. So with that, I might uh, hand over to Sid um, to, uh, to fire away with a couple of key questions that you'd like to ask the guys. Thanks, Paul. And I'd like to touch on the inflation point that you just mentioned. Inflation has been a key topic in financial markets as of late. Uh, and this is unsurprising given the amount of central bank stimulus that we've seen in response to the pandemic. And of course, we've also seen supply chain constraints on the back of, uh, on the, back of the pandemic. And I think for myself, I had two key considerations late last year. Firstly, when do we start seeing inflation tick up? And secondly, when do we start seeing inflation impact company bottom lines? And I think we got an answer to the first question late last year when we saw US CPI tick up, followed by other markets. And now we're starting to see inflation affect company bottom lines 
with more and more companies mentioning the term margin pressure in earnings calls. Now, with inflation at these levels, pricing power of companies becomes increasingly important. And it's quite fortuitous that we have IKEA on the call as pricing power and the focus on franchise is a key part of their investment process. So I'd like to bring in IKEA at this point to explain what pricing power and the focus on franchise actually means and how these factors are incorporated into your investment philosophy and process. Thank you, Sid. Uh, thank you, Paul, for uh, giving us an opportunity to present today. Um, maybe before I answer your question, Sid, maybe perhaps I should give you a bit, uh, just very brief background to AKS investment approach. Um, so emerging markets, obviously, are very good places to invest uh, capital for long term for a variety of reasons. They're great, uh, very high growth economies, uh, the good demographics, and, and, you know, and much less leverage compared to the developer. But the problem with these markets is they are um, uh, you know, very volatile. Uh, they uh, can can do a lot of damage in terms of you know they can if you lose a lot of capital very quickly again because uh, the, there's quite significant amount of macroeconomic volatility the rule of law is uh, is hardly present there or you know if, if even if there it's it's not implemented properly and the respect for private property rights uh, is again uh, is not really respected you know uh, is not there so. Akia's investment approach is always uh, focused on a very strong downside protection. So our focus has always been protect downside while we uh, generate good long-term returns for our investors. Now, how we achieve um, this downside protection without compromising long-term returns is quite interesting. So what we really focus on twin principles. So first, we focus on um, quality of companies, like Sid mentioned, uh, you know, really very strong focus for us. But at the same time, we also focus on um, evaluation. So we never overpay for the company we are buying. Um, again, the quality you could uh, analyze in different ways. Uh, you know, we, we think about quality of franchise and obviously pricing power is one of the key considerations. But more important consideration for us is really uh, the quality of people behind the business. So most of the companies we buy in our funds are really family owned owner managed companies where these owners or these wealth creators have a long term track record of uh, you know dealing with all kinds of problems not just inflation but all kinds of issues in emerging markets um, so so that's really the investment approach we follow um, now specific question on inflation yes so i think the first consideration is these are the companies we are buying are dominant franchises in the markets they operate so they have very strong pricing power and that's quite proven so uh, you know, unfortunately for our markets, inflation is not a new thing. Uh, you know, more, many of these markets have suffered inflation for a long time. So we can see the history. Each one of these companies we are buying uh, have beaten inflation, have actually exercised pricing power for a, for a really long term. Uh, and then they are again run by uh, actually owners themselves, most of the cases. So uh, the owner's net worth or their own self-worth is invested in these companies. So they always innovate. They innovate out of any sort of cost problem or you know a, a price problem uh, quite uh, reasonably quickly. Um, so that's the first uh, consideration. That's why we sort of we actually our portfolios behave very well during inflationary times. I think the second uh, uh, thing for us is the valuation focus. So when uh, inflation comes in, the bond yields rise and and market obviously uh, pays more attention to the valuation. And, and because of our valuation focus, we never overpay for companies. We are not in the companies uh, which are aggressively priced by the market or what you we call like bubble stocks. We are not there. Therefore, our portfolio is actually hold up uh, much better than the markets in these times. 
think the other uh, consideration for us is very strong balance sheet. So we invest uh, behind um, really conservative balance sheets, good cash positions in companies, not just companies, but also countries. So we stay away from countries where there might be too much debt, like countries like, for example, Turkey or Argentina. And, and those are the countries we suffer more uh, during inflationary times, again, because the cost of borrowing goes up. So that, again, helps our portfolio and help us deliver strong downside protection for our investors. Thanks, Ashish. And uh, Paul, I'm glad you mentioned the focus on people. Uh, Paul, I'd like to highlight that AKS focus on people is part of what makes them such an attractive proposition as investment managers. Uh, information in emerging markets can be quite difficult to find and verify. So we feel that AKS broad network and emphasis on understanding the people behind companies will give them an edge compared to other EM investors. It also facilitates transparency in what can be quite an opaque market. Next, I'd like to touch on governance. Now, Ashish, why do you believe that governance is such an important consideration when investing in emerging markets? So maybe I can start and then maybe let uh, my colleague Tom uh, take over. So I think, so the governance again, I said because of the problem uh, is the rule of law and respect for property rights and institutions are actually quite weak uh, in, in these markets. So therefore you have to really back the people uh, you know, you are, you're investing with. So that helps us going back to the point of downside protection, helps us downside protection and stay away from markets which could be seen as, as troublesome. So for example, we uh, were not, since our exception, we've never invested in Russia. Uh, because of that reason, we, we looked at every listed company in Russia and always came back, uh, you know, uh, uh, with saying that actually none of those companies pass our quality test. They're either state-owned companies or they are run by political cronies. Uh, so we never actually found a good quality company in Russia. So maybe I stop there and ask my colleague Tom to actually explain how we do it, because like you said, the information is not there. Thank you, Ashish. And, and I think at the, the crux of the, the issue here is that it sounds very simple just to back people. But if you're starting from a blank sheet of paper, uh, investing in these markets, which are very difficult for the reasons Ashish described, like where do you start, especially in emerging markets, which is especially opaque, you've got a situation where many of the the media groups and newspapers are controlled by very wealthy families and these families can control the narrative so how do you really find out uh, what true information it looks like and and people's genuine reputation so the way that we've approached this going back two or three decades now is to build our own network on the ground almost down to every city level we try and discover who are the honest business families who are the reputable managers of companies, the directors that are genuinely independent, um, the journalists that can tell you the honest family from the family that's not. And the reason this is really important for us is because we need to answer um, a list of questions uh, that are much, um, how to put it, they're much harder to answer than just reading the Financial Times. So we're trying to uh, answer questions like, is the business entrepreneur genuinely private and and how did he he or she make their first million dollars and to know to get those answers you've got to maybe go back to the the 80s or 90s and to really find out did they get certain permits they get licenses from the government or was this a genuinely private business so unless you've got people telling you the truth in these markets you, you can never really find out and then 10 20 years later they've managed to um use their media and their influence to kind of mask the truth so we try and get to the real bottom of the question around the families are there political connections? How do they make their money? And then it goes 
into the organizational culture as well. Like we want to invest in the best management teams. We want to invest in companies where the organizational culture really aligns with the strategy. But how do you actually triangulate that? Because you'll meet lots of companies. They have great presentations. Everybody says it's the best place to work. But we try and speak to as many different people as we can. So we speak to ex-employees. We speak to, say, people within HR departments, divisional heads. We speak to competitors. And over time, in most industries, we can build up a picture of where are the best places to work and maybe which owners are not good to work for because as professionals you want to work for the family that gives you the most autonomy to really build a business so we study things like the structure of the organization the kpis um and and it takes a lot of time to 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 kind of come up with these conclusions but at the end of it you have conviction that you're backing the best businesses and then we look at we use our network also to discover how um, business families and entrepreneurs treat all stakeholders um so whether it's the local communities whether it's the the environment around them um, and we spend a lot of time asking these questions because we are investing on a five to ten year view and, and so we need to make sure that we are sleeping at night in london knowing that we're investing with people we trust thanks tom and ashish i'd next like to move into another sort of topic of uh, that's been quite popular in financial media as of late and that is china so china has been has been quite a a popular topic We've heard some commentators going so far as to say that the country is uninvestable. I'd like to get your thoughts on the investability of China and how your beliefs on stewardship tie in with this. Perhaps I'll Thanks. bring my other colleague uh, Rahul into this discussion. So maybe Rahul, could you explain, please? Thanks, Ashish. Um, uh, and thanks, Sid, for the question. Yeah, uh, I mean, China does uh, evoke very extreme sentiments uh, among investors. And and you know, uh, having invested in the uh, in China for for many years, what what we found is, it's either viewed as one of the most compelling investment opportunities, or at other times it's viewed as uninvestable. Uh, and this is because there are some contradictions in the country. I mean, on the one hand, uh, the country is experiencing one of the fastest uh, expansion of consumer spending that the world has uh, pretty much ever seen. Uh, and you know, it's a it's a, a country quite rife with entrepreneur uh, entrepreneurism. Uh, there are like 5,000 listed companies uh, in, in China. So the depth and breadth of the Chinese market is, is quite vast and quite unmatched. So that, that makes it very attractive. But then on the other hand, uh, you know, the history of capitalism in China is quite short. Uh, you know, the government runs a large part of the economy and exerts a lot of influence. Uh, and so there is this vagueness between, you know, uh, ownership lines, the, uh, the ownership lines between the state and private hands is quite blurred. Um, and and uh, on top of this, you know, media is not free, court systems are not independent, uh, respect for private property is absent. So all the uh, challenges that Ashish sort of described uh, when we talk about emerging markets exist. Uh, and so a nuanced approach is needed for China. You know, it's, it's neither of the two extremes. Uh, and what we found is this idea of stewardship and thinking about downside risk protection is quite a, a powerful guide to navigating China. Uh, so, for example, if you invest in companies with a strong sense of purpose, uh, companies that are genuinely solving a problem for society, as opposed to companies that are creating a problem, then it's far less likely that these companies will be regulated against. And if you uh, invest in companies that have no proven links to the government, then when political winds change, uh, you're far less exposed to an expropriation risk. Uh, so, I mean, if you just take the example of Alibaba, uh, which is quite well documented now that, uh, you know, Jack Ma built this business with considerable support for, from the Shanghai faction of the government. 
And then if you look at the capital allocation decisions uh, that Alibaba has made over the years, and if you use that as the guide for defining the true purpose of uh, the entity Alibaba, then it's quite clear that the core purpose uh, really was to enrich a few uh, people that were connected to this political group. Uh, and so when the political winds changed in China, Alibaba lost its advantage and it has faced disproportionate amount of backlash from, from, the, uh, from the government. And then on the other hand, uh, you know, we've invested in this mid-sized chemical logistics company and safety is a very important consideration in, in the chemical logistics space because China has seen some very uh, large scale, uh, high profile chemical accidents in recent years. And so the government is actually keen that a few capable companies formalize and consolidate the sector and uh, you know, enhance the security standards uh, in the chemical logistics supply chain. And this is what this company stands for. So it is solving a true problem uh, that the society faces. And uh, you know, meanwhile, the, the founder of the company, the CEO, he places safety as his topmost priority. And he sees that his business is just one accident away from shutting down. Um, and then, uh, you know, when we sort of did the uh, background checks on the CEO uh, and we spoke to, uh, you know, the very strong multinational client base that they have rather than an SOE client base, it suggested that, uh, you know, there aren't, uh, this business was built without any political linkages. And in fact, this is a sector where political linkages can't really help because government bureaucrats don't want to risk being involved in a fatal chemical accident. So, you know, all considered, you know, using stewardship as a guiding principle, we feel this company is actually very well placed uh, and, you know, from a downside risk protection strategy, but also, uh, you know, it's well placed to be a category leader in what is a very nascent industry with very good long-term growth potential. Thanks, Rahul. And of course, China's also had the COVID zero policy and uh, we've seen regulatory, regulatory reforms over the past, uh, over the past year. And I think that points to just how eventful global markets have been, even you know both emerging markets and developed markets. So we've we've briefly discussed a few of these uh, key factors in global markets, but given the amount of volatility and given how eventful these markets have been, what are your key considerations when investing in emerging markets, and how do you stay focused on what matters? Yes, so thank you, Sid. Uh, so I, I think. Uh, going back to a point that, look, the, the emerging markets have always been very volatile uh, places to deploy capital. Uh, right now, obviously, there's a bit more, but so so we, the approach which we follow, have been sort of uh, practiced and evolved almost more than two decades uh, to actually, uh, you know, like Tom mentioned, sleep night um, and, and have uh, a very strong downside protection and give uh, in our investors uh, a return profile, which is very good and healthy long term, but very low volatility, and that's essentially what what we do. Um, so for us, the considerations has been the following. So first consideration is is people. So quality of people is is really we don't ever compromise on it. So the stewardship, like Rahul mentioned, is the most important consideration. So what we want to invest with is good quality stewards who take care of their companies for the long term. So that's the most important consideration. The second is never take a risk around the franchise quality or quality of financials. So we never invest in leverage balance sheets or uh, a franchise which is not dominant uh, in where it's operating. Uh, the third consideration is valuation. So we never overpay for what we buy, uh, which is almost as important as not compromising on quality because when we overpay, you run the risk of again, uh, causing more downside. Uh, I think the, the last but not the least really is the consideration that look, we 
uh, are obsessed with risks. So we, uh, quite a bit of our own personal capital is invested in, in these funds. So we always think about how can we lose money in variety of ways. And we always try to avoid uh, those ways basically and, and just block any way we can lose money for our clients. Great, thanks Sashish. And Paul, I'd like to point out that this is another characteristic of IKEA that we found particularly attractive. Their interests are aligned with their clients, which of course is us and uh, by extension, our advisors and their clients. Um, and their sole focus is emerging markets. Emerging markets isn't just an additional product or revenue stream for IKEA, it is their bread and butter. IKEA is also comprised of experienced individual investors who have, who have worked together as a team and built their experience in a strong environment with the pioneers of quality growth investment in emerging markets. They're quite intentional in what they do. Additionally, they have strong downside protection, which is particularly important in emerging markets, given the drawdowns can be quite substantial. The portfolio is low beta, low downside capture, while still retaining good upside capture. Thanks, Sid. And um, thanks to the team, Ashish, Raul, and Tom. Uh, more details can be found at the BT Investment Solutions website, bt.com.au slash BTIS. And that's where you'll find a wide range of supporting materials from you know, podcasts like these, from videos, to our more detailed performance reports as well as the contact details of our investment specialist team. And importantly, if you have any questions with regard to this podcast or any of our BT Investment Solution products in general, please don't uh, hesitate to get in touch with myself or any one of your local investment specialists. So thanks once again to the Acre team and um, we look forward to uh, talking to you next time on BT Invest Talk. Thank you all.